You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Here we are at the start of a brand new year, and I know that um, a lot of us, we like to start the beginning of the new year just running out of the gates. We've got new, like, healthy habits that we're wanting to put in place. We have old, unhealthy habits that we're trying to get rid of, and um, all that stuff is good. You know, it's, it's time to exercise regularly, read your Bible more, spend more time in prayer, go to counseling so your kids don't end up there, get drunk more on the Holy Spirit, stop drinking other spirits, <laughs> read one Christian inspiration book per week, finally get your own Netflix accounts instead of using your cousin's login, <laughs> attend church every Sunday, volunteer at church, especially in the kids' department, donate to charities, become a vegan. Go into, uh, get into recycling and save the turtles, start writing that book, do all the house projects, read parenting books, disciple your kids like a children's pastor, and disciple your teens like a youth pastor, be the prepared guy who always carries around a pocket knife, <laughs> speak only kind words, even to those special people in your life, tithe money, save money, organize your closets, become a minimalist, practice the Christian disciplines of meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Can we all just take a deep breath together? Just breathe in the love of God and breathe out all stress and anxiety. He loves you. He loves the stuffing out of you. He is your biggest fan. He's proud of you. There are no good choices that you can make that will make him love you more. There are no bad choices you can make to make him love you less. So this year, what I want us to do is to try not to burn out making God happy when he's already glad. Amen? We serve a glad, glad God. For, I, I told you that the, the worship team stepped into like a, a prophetic flow tonight. Here, here's the beginning of it. Um, uh, Ryan Crowell came up and, and talked about the Lord removing burdens from us. They were singing about it also. This is 1 John 5.3. The commands of God are not burdensome. Come on. That verse is one of my secret sauce verses. Whenever I feel burdened, I'm like, wait a minute, the commands of God aren't burdensome, so I must have been taking on a command that wasn't from God because I feel very burdened. And you begin to pray about it, and you're like, Lord, how did I get myself into a burdened place? Would you just take that burden off me again? And then, of course, we went into uh, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, I know it's time when it starts to fight. How did it go? It's so good. When it's time to start to fight, his yoke is easy, his burden's light. I can't remember it. But anyway, Matthew 11 is the reference for it. And in, in this chapter, Jesus begins, and he's, he's addressing the Pharisees, and he talks about um, how horrible religion is in this moment. And he says, uh, John the Baptist came and he was fasting. He wasn't eating anything. And you said he has a demon. I come, and I'm feasting and drinking, and you call me 
a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so guys, I want you to understand, with the spirit of religion, you are darned if you do and darned if you don't. That's a PG version. I know there's a bunch of kids in here. Like, you can't make the religious spirit happy. You can fast and they'll call you demonized. You can feast and they'll call you a glutton. So just stop trying to please that thing, right? And Jesus, when he's getting to the end of the chapter, he's still, he's still talking. He hasn't ended this discourse. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in spirit. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Isn't it good to serve this God? (sighs) It seems like the God that many Christians are believing in needs to invite Jesus into his heart. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's another secret sauce verse right there. Are you kidding me? It takes delighting? When's the last time you delighted yourself real good? When's the last time you delighted yourself in the Lord? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how like everything you do in your life has to be delighting in the Lord. I'm talking about inviting God into all the things that delight you. And you're delighting yourself with God. Do all things as unto the Lord. And I'm talking about bowling, fishing, watching Netflix with your friends. Delight yourself in the Lord. Drink richly of his blessings in your life. When's the last time you just acknowledged how good it is to be with him? Whoo! You can just begin to let that delight well up in you. And wait a minute, there's a key there. And he will give you the desires of your heart? So you got to be selling me swampland in Florida, Jesus. You're telling me that I delight in you and then you give me more? It's in your Bible. He is the way, he is the path, he is the life. Guys, if we're in him, it means that we are being moved along by the imperceptible, sometimes perceptible movements, the wind of the Holy Ghost. We're being blown along by the power of the Holy Spirit from day to day, day in and day out. You know, like Jesus, he he talked to Nicodemus and he said, um, the wind, you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's a really freeing verse if you start to think about it. In that moment, who was born of the Spirit? When Jesus said that, who was the only one born of the Spirit? Jesus. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, even I don't know all the agenda of tomorrow. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to live my life in the Holy Ghost. You don't know where you come from or where you're going, but when you're living in Jesus, he is the path so that you are walking the path and the Holy Spirit is the one guiding you day in and day out. It even says things like, you don't know what you're going to be doing several months from now, so why don't you just say, like, if the Lord wills it. That's a freeing verse, right? 
He's saying if if God causes it to succeed, it succeeds. If you fail, he's so good, he's going to clean it up and make it look like a success in the end. Like you can't outrisk that kind of faithfulness, that you can't outrisk that kind of goodness. We make our plans, but he directs our steps. So he is the path, but if we don't trust in him, then we can end up in a ditch. So there's the path of life, and on either side of the path of life is a ditch, and on one ditch is religion. And on the other side is lawlessness. On one side is performance, like religion, performance, religion, all that comes with it. And on the other side is lawlessness and licentiousness. And um, both of those ditches are muddy, swampy, miry, filled with poison ivy and snakes. Like, it is just not a place that you want to get stuck. And moving along through those miry ditches of religion or lawlessness is nearly impossible. But you know what you can do is you can still throw stones. And we see it all the time. You see religious Christians launching stones at the carnal Christians on the other side. And the carnal Christians lobbing them back. All the while, you're walking this path of life with your eyes on Jesus and stones are whizzing by you. And there's angry Christians over here and angry Christians over here. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And the, the religious Christians are saying, why don't you stop sinning so much? And the carnal Christians are like, leave my freedoms alone. And the religious Christians, you know what I mean? They're like, watch your language. (laughs) But all of our resolutions and our plans to, to live our lives with excellence are good. They are good as long as it's not us trying to gain his approval, feel more righteous or holy, prove our devotion, get more anointed, or speed up our refining process. These are actually all works of the flesh and an insult to the Holy Spirit. If we're using our devotion, our religion, our religious activities to try to gain his affection, approval, or think that we're getting closer to him, what we're essentially saying is, Lord, the Holy Spirit started a work in me, but I don't think he's going to finish it fast enough, so I'm going to step in and take over for him. Philippians 1.6, they sang it tonight. He who started a good work in you will be faithful to carry it to completion. Isn't that freeing? Oh, it's so good. Like his, his salvation is a gift. His refining process, all we have to do is continue to walk with him and he's gonna be the one who's faithful to carry it to completion. Paul tells it like this in Galatians chapter three. He's talking about the religious spirit here. Galatians chapter three, verse one. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Oh, Paul, guns blazing here. Like, slow down. That's harsh. That's harsh stuff. Who has bewitched you? Oh, also, did you guys know that Galatians is the first book of the New Testament? Like, Paul wrote that letter before anything else, it, like, well, long before the Gospels. So, when Paul wrote this letter, it would be years later before even the Gospels would be written. And so, Paul, this, is the, this is some of the first words of the New Testament, guys. 
I'm going to read on in Galatians 3.1. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? After beginning in the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by works of the flesh? Guys, I'm talking to me. It creeps up on you. You know, like, it, it's like you're living your life with the Lord, and, and day in, day out, sometimes months go by, and it's like this slow thing that subtly just kind of creeps in your life, and then, you know, uh, you start to realize, I'm not as happy or free as I used to be. What is that? Well, it's, it's, it's poison, and it's sneaky. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm not the only one, right? <sighs> Let me keep on reading on. Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Isn't that incredible? He gives his spirit and, and does miracles among you. So also Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. And so Paul in this moment, he's addressing Judaizers who are thinking that holding to old Jewish laws and customs is actually the thing that is bringing the anointing. Paul is addressing Judaizers who think that holding to old customs and laws, moral codes, that that's the thing bringing the miracles and anointing. Guys, there's not some secret that we can learn that is going to bring miracles and power and some fresh anointing. It is connectivity to Jesus alone. The most powerful witchcraft in the world is using the Bible apart from relationship with the author. I know that it makes people uncomfortable to associate the Bible with witchcraft, but it's right here. Paul actually says that going from the spirit back to the law is witchcraft. Who has bewitched you? Using the principles of the book without the Prince of Peace. Using the principles without the Prince of Peace means you're serving a principality. Woo, I'm getting fired up. Y'all put on your helmets. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if we're enjoying Jesus transforming us, it will lead to us accidentally transforming the world. I want my acts of devotion to be the byproduct of affection. I want Christ living his life through me. I want to be compelled by love. You guys know when, so all of Israel, they get into some, some witchcrafty behaviors way back in the day in Moses' time, and poisonous snakes come and bite them, and it's actually representative of what happens when you give in to this mindset. 
And so they're actually, the, the nation is suffering and dying from venom in their veins from the choice that they made. And Moses goes to God and God says, lift up a bronze serpent and just have everybody look at it. And everybody, I mean, nowadays we think, oh, this is a beautiful teaching about Jesus being lifted like the bronze serpent and everybody who looks to him, you know, the poison's drawn out of him. We're given life, you know, this is John chapter three, by the way, when Jesus says, as the bronze serpent was lifted in the wilderness, so the son of man will be lifted up and everyone who comes to me will have eternal life. It's an incredible teaching, but now we understand the, the meaning of it. But could you imagine being Moses in that moment? And he has to gather everybody who's suffering from venom and he, and he addresses the nation and says, okay, I just need everybody to look at this. <laughs> and all of Israel's is like, um, did we pack some snake bite kits from Egypt? <laughs> I don't think just looking at the bronze serpent's gonna do it, ma'am. And Moses is like, just look at it. Here's the thing, if we've become envenomed, venomated, poisoned, <laughs> we don't need to teach our way out of it, we need to look at him again. I don't want to become a TED Talks church where we have how-to teachings for everything. I want us to be obsessed with the beauty of Jesus. And when we look at him, it draws out every poison that we have allowed into our lives. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of the Holy Spirit to transform. Philippians 1.6, we already hit it, but I want to say it again. He who began the good work will be the one who finishes it. So I want, you to say, I want you to know that the opposite is also true. If we're starting works of the flesh, we're going to have to carry them with the flesh. Don't try to invent new ways to serve God more wholeheartedly when, when he isn't the one breathing passion into your life. What it will do, you will end up into the ditch of religion. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but what we really need to do is fall in love with the face of Jesus and we will be inspired to all the good works we could ever do. Colossians 2 says it like this, therefore don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. This means that all the feasts, the fasts, and the festivals, all the Jewish seasons of life were really just a shadow of what is actually found in Christ. It goes on like this in verse 18. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Hang with me. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any 
value in restraining sensual indulgence. The rules that we set up to try to avoid sensual indulgence actually empowers our path towards it. Again, I will say the only thing that is going to keep us on a path of life is looking at Jesus and falling in love with him. So all of these like how-to teachings and how to live life better, I, I, there are so many pastors and people who tell you how to live your life because they haven't experienced real life itself yet. They've experienced this shadow from the beginning of this verse, all these, these festivals, feasts, all the, the, the seasons of Jewish life. It's just a shadow, and the reality is found in Christ. You know, you can't tell from a shadow. Like, I'm trying to find it. There's not really a shadow of me up here. But if, if you just have a shadow, you can't tell if he's smiling or winking or crying, you can't see the, the, the smile creases on his face. A shadow can't communicate all that much at all. You can't have relationship with a shadow. And we go back to these old shadows instead of braving the journey of falling in love with Jesus. And what ends up happen, happening is that we have a form of godliness. We have the outline, the shadow. We have the outline of godliness, but no power in our lives. That's 2 Timothy 3.5. This is all over the New Testament. Paul talks about it like this in Philippians 3. This is when he's, he's talking about his awesome deeds of being like all-star Jew of all of history. It's Philippians 3.7. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Paul is saying, I would rather do nothing with a heart full of Jesus than be the most famous Christian in all the world without intimacy with him. I'd rather sit in a chair all my days enjoying the presence of God and intimacy with Jesus than go out and try to change the world without him. All of our good works, I'm talking every single human in all of history, if you were to pile up all of our good works, it is rubbish compared to just knowing him. Isaiah calls them filthy rags. You just can't compare the value of, a, of all the good works to just knowing the pleasure of his closeness. But what about good works, Jeremy? Aren't we supposed to do them? I'm glad you guys asked. Ephesians chapter two says, we are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift. Can you guys say gift? Can you guys earn a gift? No, I mean, the, the, the two words don't coincide. As soon as you say the word earn, gift falls out of that paradigm. So you can't earn salvation. That's good news. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it goes on to saying this, this free gift of salvation does not come by works, so no one can boast, but we're created, we're his workmanship to go and do good works. That word workmanship is poema, it's poem. 
You are God's poem. How does a poem do good works? You let your life be read by everyone. You are a living epistle. Be yourself and shine. You can stand in front of the world and say, just look at me. Anything you see in me that looks like Jesus, it's all Jesus. Every good thing in my life is all him. And just let him shine through you. Now, what I don't want anyone walking away thinking is that God isn't serious about obedience and discipline because he is. It brings him great joy when we respond properly to his voice. And sometimes he asks us to do odd things, radical things, costly things, scary things. When the presence of God comes in like a, a new level, like more manifest presence of God shows up in a room, we can't just act like business as usual. Otherwise, we get Ananias and Sapphira situations on our hands, right? Ananias and Sapphira, they, they made a show of their giving, essentially. They wanted to be counted as radical as the rest of the crew. And I want you guys to know, they probably would have gotten away with it a month earlier, but not when the glory's that thick. I don't think that anyone in this room is going to drop dead by making a show of their giving. But if there's like a glory cloud on this stage and his presence is tangible to everyone and everyone knows we're in a holy moment and I make a show of like trying to make everyone think that I'm being radically generous, I might just meet Jesus face to face faster than anticipated. You can't get away with things that you used to get away with when his presence is like that. And you don't want to. We're inspired to act differently. This happened with Moses in the burning bush. You know, Moses probably walked by that bush plenty of times. It was a normal shrubbery. That shrubbery had existed before, and he had walked that, you know, insignificant plot of dirt before. But this day, God was there. And he turned aside and saw this bush that was burning and not being consumed and the Lord said take off your shoes for the ground on which you're standing is holy Moses could have said no it's not I've walked this dirt before this is normal dirt but God's saying no 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 I'm here and it's time to act different I want you guys to know that this might feel and look and seem like a normal building but God is planning on increasing his presence and pouring it out in this community. He's inviting us. He's saying this is, this is a holy moment, which is why we're fasting. We're responding to him inviting us, letting us know that this is a special season. We are responding by fasting. We are responding by radically giving because we actually believe that this isn't just a normal building, but this is a place that God is gonna set up an altar for his praise to rise up to heaven. And this is gonna be a place in Frisco where people know that the incense, the very presence, the fragrance of God is going up and down in this place right here. 
We're fasting because we believe this is a holy moment and we're acting accordingly. Guys, there are a lot of uh, great books out there on why we fast, but let me just say, I'm not fasting to twist God's arm. Anybody ever tried to twist God's arm? Doesn't work. I'm fasting, but this is is me just talking. This is Jeremy talking. I'm, I'm fasting to enjoy the feast of his presence even more. Again, I'm, I'm speaking personally here. I know a lot of people have different opinions of fasting, different experience in fasting, but when I fast, I experience an increase of the supernatural, the mystical. I feel more joy in his presence. It's almost as if, you know, he's always with us. He never leaves. He never forsakes. But when I fast, it feels like something is stripped away and I have a new level of sensitivity to him already being here. Does that make sense? I feel like the spirit realm just opens up. And that when I fast and I feel hunger, it reminds me like to, to turn to him and I feel his affections wash over me again. And we're going to be able to say as a community through this fast, responding to the voice of God like this, that I have food no one knows about. I might be hungry in my stomach, but I'm full in my spirit. I have food no one knows about. I'm not talking about the jar of peanut butter that I hide under my pillow when I'm fasting. <laughs> it's an old Mike Bickle story. I love that story. He, he was on this long fast, like a couple weeks in, and his wife is like, you smell peanut butter? He's <laughs> like so busted. He was just eating spoonfuls of peanut butter halfway through his fast. That's like the smelliest food possible, right? You might as well eat anchovies. Um, I want to make 2020 a year of intimacy with Jesus where good works are the byproduct of intimacy. So um, what I want to do right now is us just to stand in his presence, repent of religion, and ask him to draw out the poison While we're standing, I have, I have one more story. One time I was in the prayer room, and the Lord said to me, I'm looking for my Abraham Lincolns. And I was like, you're going to have to unpack that, Lord. What does that mean? He said, I'm looking for my Abraham Lincolns. Abraham Lincoln was a man who waged a war against a mindset of slavery without villainizing the people who carried it. And the Lord said, I'm looking for a man who will wage a war against the spirit of religion without villainizing the brothers who carry it. Because you're going to have to reunify the church just like Abraham Lincoln had to reunify the nation. So guys, as he tells me, I'm looking for my Abraham Lincolns, I leave the prayer room, I get a phone call from a number that I don't recognize, and I decide to answer it anyway, and the guy says, hey, is this Abraham? I'm not kidding. Moments after the Lord says, I'm looking for my Abraham Lincolns, how many Abrahams are alive these days anyway? I mean, that is the most random name. It's like, hey, is this Beatrice? No, like, <laughs> how many Beatrices are out there? No, so anyway, I get this call, and I, I wish I would have said yes, but I was just like out of the moment. I said, I think you have the wrong number. He said, oh, that's, that's cool, man. So anyway, and then a month ago, I know this is, just hang with me. I put on my no-show socks because that's what's cool these days in the morning, 
And I feel something, after I put my shoe on, I feel something rattling around. And I, I think it's like a spider and being an Eagle Scout, I know to get rid of that real fast. And so I threw my shoe off and like ripped my sock off and a penny fell out. And I was just going to walk away. I mean, let the vacuum cleaner get that thing. But um, <laughs> inflation, another day. Um, so I, I, but the Lord says it's a 1982, which is my birth year. And so I I turn back to the penny, I pick it up. It's a 1982 penny, and it says, Liberty, in God we trust, and it's Abraham Lincoln. And he was just reiterating to me, I I said it and I meant it, I'm looking for my Abraham Lincolns who will free my church of the spirit of religion without villainizing the brothers who carry it. So Holy Spirit, open up our eyes again. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. We want to see Jesus high and lifted up again, (laughs) shining. Just like the Israelites looked on that bronze serpent, Lord, in 2020, we choose to look to you. And right now, we repent for every work of the flesh, every, everything we've been doing, that we've been duped into, anything that we've been bewitched into, thinking that we could earn your affections or get closer to you, we repent right now in Jesus' name. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to just draw out the poison. <laughs> 